0: take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. I'm telling you, there are some days the devil's in the system. I don't know. It's one of those days. This is what it is. Um, Book of Acts, chapter 15. I pray that you would be with us this morning, meet with us during this time. Lord, we've worshipped in prayer. We've worshipped through music. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us now to worship through your word. Lord, you told us that your word would never return void. And so, Lord, we're claiming that today, Lord, that your word is going to teach us what we need to know this day. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to apply it as we go our separate ways at the end. But Lord, I pray that you would meet with us, Lord. Lord, speak to our hearts. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 15, we're going to be looking at verses 36 through 41. And uh, we've been working our way, for those of you that are visiting with us today, we've been working our way through the book of Acts. And uh, just kind of chapter by chapter, text by text, learning what God wants us to learn from the stories that we're reading, from the scriptures that we're reading and uh, this morning is an interesting subject. It's one that I've had many discussions over with other fellow pastors over the years. And, well, as Johnny Hunt says, you have the right to be wrong. And so <laughs> uh, it's just my opinion on this one, That, and you'll find out in just a moment why I say that. Um, but this happens to be a, t- a, a, a text that deals with division between two brothers. And I know that if you're sitting here this morning, you've never had division with another brother in Christ, ever. I know that, right? There we go. Yeah. I I assume that everyone has had a little bit of division. And uh but God's word is clear on on some things on how we handle that. Um so I just I wasn't sure what to title this message this morning. I'm like I have like 10 different titles and none of them were probably um good. So I just said, "Well, hopefully God's glorified in the end. God God be glorified in the end." That's what I titled it. So there are times when two or more people that are well respected have differing opinions. Uh, this is one of those times where we see this in the scriptures here in this text. In the midst of doing some difficult and taxing ministry, one minister, Paul, that you know of, but we've been reading about quite a bit, Paul uh, thought that the other minister, Barnabas, that we've also been reading about, should not take the third minister, who was John Mark, with them as they continued on in their journey to visit the churches that had been planted and ministered to. And uh, so it became quite contentious over one minister kind of dictating what the other minister should do concerning the third minister. And uh, so this became quite contentious. So let's look at the scripture and then we'll start looking uh, at some details of it. So beginning of verse 36, it says, Then after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark, or some call him John Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. I mean, I know that two brothers have never departed from one another in anger, right? That's never happened. Well, once it did. Um, but Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and of being commended by the brethren of the, to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthening the churches. So, after some days in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas decided that they should go back and visit all the churches that they had ministered to, where they had planted churches in, and so forth. And if you remember, several weeks back, we looked at all the cities they had gone to, and there's been about 17 different cities. I mean, they went from one city to the next city to the next city to the next city to the next city. And they literally just were on these journeys going from town to village to town to city. And they are planting churches, teaching in the synagogues. And we found out in some places things went really well. In other places they were, you know, stoned and left for dead. And Paul, being the, you know, stubborn man that he was, turn around, and goes right back into the city and uh, says, give me more. And, you know, this, all these churches and places that they've been, and they decided that we're going to take this break and we're going to kind of go right back to the beginning and start over again and visit all of these churches that we had worked in. Here's where the contention started. Barnabas determined to take John Mark and Paul disagreed. I mean, imagine that. Two brothers who are both sincere in heart, who both want to see good things happen, disagreeing with each other. Oh, if that isn't the picture of the church sometimes. I do thank God in all seriousness, we haven't had a ton of that year. We have a pretty good unity. when I hear pastor friends say that they have a business meeting lasting six hours and they're fighting and yelling, dude, I just leave. I, I, I ain't putting up with that stuff. We've never had that. I'm thankful that we have a church that is unified and we work in harmony with each other. And uh, I appreciate that so much. But here's John Mark. Who is being talked about by Paul and Barnabas, and they're coming to a place of contention. At some point, John Mark departed from them while on a ministry journey. We see that in verse 38. It says, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had gone with them to the work. So at some point, John Mark departed from them while on this ministry trip. And here's what we don't know. Just listen to this just for a moment. Here's what we do not know from Scripture. Here's what Scripture does not tell us in any way, shape, or form from cover to cover. Why? Why? Scripture does not tell us why John Mark chose to leave the ministry team for a period of time. And this is where I've had many discussions with other pastors. That say, well, he was a quitter. How do you know that? Scripture didn't tell us why he chose not to go on. And you remember, if we, if you remember correctly, about the village of, in the town of Pamphylia, it was not a nice place. I'm guaranteeing you that Pamphylia is not a place that you wanted to book your B and B, Airbnb, and go and visit for a few days. It was a raunchy city. It was a nasty city. Is a city where God's presence was needed, and I'm certain as they were there ministering, it was not an easy place to do ministry. And for whatever reason, the scriptures does not tell us that John Mark decided to leave the ministry team when they got to that place, and then eventually Saul and Bar- or Paul and Barnabas kept going on. So, this is where things get interesting, and to me, where the story applies to real life where you and I can relate to this story. Uh, There are times, and there will be more times, that we don't know why people do what they do. How many of you have ever wondered, as you've been in church, and you have a friend who's been faithful to church, say, why aren't they here? I've wondered that. I said, what's going on in their life that they're not here? Did something happen? But it's kind of often always the elephant in the room. We don't want to address it because we don't want to be nosy but we do want to know, right? We want to know why they're not here. What happened that they're not showing their face? Well, I think I heard this. Well, I'm not really sure. But oftentimes things happen, people don't show up, and we don't know why. I often try to find out. So if there's something we can do to help them, encourage them, fix the problem that may have been there. But there are times, and there are going to be more times, that we don't know why people do what they do. Let me just give you three things to consider maybe John Mark had family circumstances to attend to. That wouldn't be a bad thing, right? I mean, if it comes down to ministry or taking care of my family, which would you think would be the better thing to do? Maybe he was busy taking care of family matters. I don't know. Maybe John Mark was just simply tired. How many of you have been involved in a ministry that you've been in for years and it just gets tiring after a time? I've been there. I've been doing this for almost 30 years now. And there are times that I get tired, and a simple nap is not going to take care of it. There are times I just need to, like, shut my brain off and go into coast mode and isolate myself. I mean, I got in my truck a, couple, it, a year and a half ago. I drove 17 hours straight before, on my way to my mom's house, and I never turned the radio on, not one time. The silence was golden. Man, it was beautiful. Some of you don't know anything about that. You need to learn. I'm just telling you, there are times that you just need to unwind and just stop. Maybe John Mark was just simply tired. Scripture doesn't tell us why he quit. Maybe John Mark had other ministry objectives to complete. Maybe he never really quit the ministry. He just quit that team. And maybe he was staying there to do other ministry objectives. But guess what the Bible doesn't tell us? Why? It doesn't tell us. But For whatever reason, Paul got torqued at Barnabas because he wanted to take John Mark. Because for whatever reason, John Mark had quit and now he wants to rejoin the team. Nope, sorry, you quit once, you can't do it. You're done. nixed for life. God's Word does not tell us why. And we don't know always what's going on in somebody else's life. So our response, let me give you three things to consider as what our response should be. Number one, pray for others when we don't know what's going on. How about that? How about we do that for a change? Rather than getting critical, rather than jumping to conclusions, rather than saying, I know exactly what took place because so-and-so gave an indication of this or that, why don't we pray for them? When's the last time we literally sat down and said, well, I haven't seen so-and-so for a while. Maybe I should just sit and pray for them. They haven't been here for a few weeks. I don't know what's going on, but I should pray for them. I think that's a whole lot better than getting critical. Maybe you give them a text and say, Hey, miss you on Sunday. Anything I can pray for? I haven't seen you in three weeks. Is there anything going on in your life that I, could, that I should know about or pray for? And then pray for them. Maybe we could stop and pray for people. Number two, don't assume the worst case scenario. You ever thought about that? Don't assume that because they're not there the wor- they must be out drunk and, and 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 wasted. That's why they're not here. People assume the worst kinds of trash sometimes. Why do we assume, why is it why does our flesh why does our mind go to the worst thing possible? Maybe there's a part of us that wants someone to fail. Maybe there's a part of us that we want to you know get the dirt on somebody so we have so so we can justify our own sinfulness. I don't know. But number 1, pray for them when you don't know what's going on. Number 2, don't assume the worst-case scenario. And number 3, and I think this is probably the most important thing, be willing to give us another second, third, 24th chance. Right? How many times have you sinned against a holy God and he says I forgive you? How many times? Have you been a beneficiary of His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness and His long-suffering? Where He's been patient with you as you chose to do something different than what He had for you. So why would we expect a great and holy and righteous and awesome God to do that for me, but I'm unwilling to do it for someone else? Do you realize that there are cardinal sins that only, only, only well, not, not, I don't even know if God can forgive them. How many times in the world, in, in our lifetime, we say, "Well, God forgives every sin, except for divorce." That's 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 one that God doesn't forgive, right? Yeah, we don't we, we, we say one thing, but we treat it completely different. Or how, how about grace when it comes to somebody who got caught in a, in adultery, or an affair, or involved in a sin that we think is just egregious? God forgives those too. Do we say we just forget it? No. There are sins that are have, have serious consequences, but you think that somehow your little white lie and exaggeration and fib is better than that person stealing something. Who puts the degrees on sin? God didn't do it. Sin might have different consequences, but all sin breaks the heart of God if you weren't sure about that. Whether you a little fib, a little tiny white lie or an exaggeration, You know, the fish you caught wasn't this big. It was only this big, but you were too afraid to tell that. Sin is sin, and all sin breaks the heart of God. And God's Word makes it very clear that if you're not willing to forgive others, I didn't put this in God's Word, He did. He says, if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father in Heaven forgive you. Somehow we expect that God's always going to be there to forgive us, but we withhold forgiveness from others because we think that their sin is just too great or too hard to handle or affected too many people. Sin is sin. All sin breaks the heart of God. And all sin is forgivable. So be willing to give a second, third, 25th chance rather than assuming the worst. But here's what happened. So we know that maybe John had family circumstances. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was attending to other areas of ministry, but we should be willing to pray for them, not assuming the worst scenario, be willing to give other, uh, other chances. But here's what happened. The, the contention became so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that separation became, uh, or happened between them. One went one way, one went the other way. But here's the grace of God in this. You see, there are times when two believing brothers can have a difference of opinion, and God can still get the glory. You see, the churches, nonetheless, were strengthened. How do I know that? Look at verse 40. It says, But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Look at verse 41. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The churches will still be strengthened. You see, I don't have to have my way. And you don't have to have your way. God can still work. And get the glory in the end. Here's what I know. Say, before I get so harsh on Paul, before I just look at Paul as just being a big meanie, here's what I believe. I believe with all my heart that Paul had a sincere heart. He did. I think he really wanted what was best for the ministry. How do I know that? Romans chapter 15, verse 20 says, And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. I believe that Paul, in all his heart, wanted to see the gospel go forth. And he felt the best way to do that was for him and Barnabas to stay together for a while and not let John Mark join the team. But for whatever reason, separation came. They both went separate ways, and God still worked. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For of necessity is laid upon me, yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul looked at the gospel being so important that i got to just keep doing it. He was faithful to the great commission that we see in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 to go into all the world. He was doing that. And I think Paul, in all sincerity, he wanted the team to be as effective as possible to get the gospel going out. And I think sometimes, how important is the gospel going out to us? I debated all night whether I should say something. I'm going to say something. My wife is saying, oh, Lord Jesus. Some of you all didn't show up last week, not one time. Shame on you. Not one time. I don't I'm not a huge fan of Andy Stanley. But I know one thing he said I believe in. And he said this. He said, if you won't share your gospel, at least get him here so I can. We had a whole week of opportunity to hear stories of how God changes lives. You didn't have to open your mouth and say, hey, you want to come to church with me tonight? We're going to hear some cool stories. You have an opportunity. It doesn't get any easier. You don't have to go to Jerusalem Baptist Bible College. You don't need to go to Cilicia you know, Bible Institute. You don't, all you have to do is simply say, this is how God changed my life. Seven people trusted in Jesus last week. I think that's a drop in the bucket of what could have happened. I really do believe that. Folks, we have got to get urgent about the gospel. Does anyone have a day and time when Jesus is going to come back and return? Anyone anyone know that? I mean, the one that thought he had died, um, he's gone. As far as I know, none of us know. And here's the other thing none of us knows. You don't know the day nor the hour that you're going to die. We don't wake up in the morning and say, Woo! good day to get in an accident. Woo! think I'll die today. No. That's crazy. Yes, that's crazy. As crazy as we don't know when Jesus is going to return. So are we living with a sense of urgency in getting the gospel out? Paul says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, and yesterday is laid upon me, but woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Getting the gospel message out was something that was of great importance to him. Is that of importance to us? The most simple, easiest way to share the gospel is to simply tell someone else what has happened to you. We have a story. If God's changed your life, let someone else know about it. We had an opportunity last week, every night. Take the opportunities that you have to get the gospel out. Here's what I know about Paul. Paul not only had a burden for the gospel to get out, he also had a burden to see these churches growing and maturing. He felt a responsibility to make sure that they were continuing to be grounded in their faith. And he was concerned. How do I know that? Philippians 1.8 says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He goes, I long for you. Because I long for you. You might know Jesus. Who is it that we long for? I've asked this question before. How many of you have a neighbor, friend, coworker, relative, loved one, not so loved one that needs Jesus? Do you long for them to know Jesus? Do you pray for them? Are you trying to be proactive in creating an opportunity for them to hear the gospel message? First Thessalonians 2.17 says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see you face to, with great de- face, to face with great desire. He says, I long to see these people. Why? Because he invested in them. He, he ministered to them. He wanted them to know Jesus. And he, wanted, he goes, I, I'm eager to see you again, to make sure that you're okay, to make sure that you're growing, to make sure that you're still good. 1 Corinthians four fourteen through 16 I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel, therefore I urge you to imitate me. Paul was saying to them, he goes, Listen, you can have 10,000 people teaching you, But the responsibility I feel towards you is that I am your spiritual father. I have shared the gospel with you. You have come to know Jesus. And in in that way, he goes, I I feel a responsibility over you as a father in the faith. And then he says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Oh, boy. How many of us can really say that? I I don't know that I can say it fully. There's some parts of me I think I could be okay with. Just being honest, my flesh is pathetic sometimes. How often can you say to someone that you have invested in to imitate me? Do what I'm doing. Say what I'm saying. Be like me. Man, when I was a kid growing up, and I'll still say to this day, there was no greater than Michael Jordan. I mean, every season we had to watch Hoosers and and Michael Jordan's come fly with me before basketball season, right? I mean, you got to get that motivation going. You got to get the game on. Be like Mike. Everyone had t shirts. Be like Mike. And if you're really cool, you had to have those black, red, and white, you know, Air Jordan shoes, too, so you could really be like Mike. Anybody had a pair of those? Some of you are shaking your head. Yeah, I had a pair of those. I remember one day, I was in 8th grade, I kid you not, I was sitting there reading my Matthew Henry's commentaries and laying on my bed and I had my my Michael Jordans on. And my mom walks in and she goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading. She goes, why do you have your shoes on? Because they were cool. Mike has them. I had the same pair that Michael Jordan played in. Man, I wish I had them back. They're probably worth a thousand bucks now if I never wore them. But you know, think about this. Who is it that you want to be like? Who is it that you want to be like? Bill Gates? CEO? I mean, somebody. I mean, I don't know. You want their money? You want their position? You want their power? I don't know. He says, imitate me. How many of us can say that? Those are some pretty strong words. I urge you. He goes, I'm not just saying be like me. He goes, I'm urging you. I'm I'm trying to compel you to be like me. If we were to do that to the people in our sphere of influence, what would they be imitating? Ouch. I hear stories of what kids do in classrooms. I hear stories of what kids say in classrooms. You know why they say and do the things that they say and do? Because it's what they have observed in their homes. And I'm telling you, these kids today have observed a lot. But if our sphere of influence was imitating us, what would they be doing? Would they be reading their Bible? Would they be spending time in prayer? Would they be telling others about Jesus? Would they be inviting others to church because they know that's what you do? What would our sphere of influence be doing if they imitated us? And Paul says, therefore, I urge you. I'm trying to compel you. Be like me. Imitate me. That's some pretty strong words. Think about that. Colossians 1.28 and 29 says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. That we may present every man perfect. That word perfect means mature in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Wow, he says, I'm preaching, I'm teaching, I'm warning. What was he doing? He's trying to help these other Christians be mature so that they know what is truth and they can stand on truth and not be swayed by the things of the world in their day. Just like we should not be swayed by the things of the world of our day. Galatians 4.19, my little children from whom I labor in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He said, this is my job. This is my desire that, I, that, that we are going to labor from beginning to end, from birth, from beginning to end, till Christ be formed in you. And then one more, Acts 20.31.32. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is also able to build you up and give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul, I think, was sincere in what he was trying to do. Amen? Paul had a desire, and though he had a conflict with Barnabas about what they should do with John Mark, I believe he was sincere. And in the end, churches—more churches—had they just stuck together, it'd have been one series of churches. But because he took Silas and because he took John Mark, two directions of churches were strengthened. So, what became of John Mark? There are four passages of Scripture that tell us. The first one is in Colossians four ten. It says, "Aristarchus." Ar- Ar- I can't even say it. Aristarchus. I can- if you can say it, Lord bless you. My fellow prisoner greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. He became a fellow minister. He is a co-laborer, a valuable co-laborer. And he says, welcome him when he comes. Now remember, who was Barnabas? Barnabas by name meant what? Son of encouragement. He was an encourager. And he encouraged this man that I won't try to pronounce his name, to welcome him as he came, as a co- valuable co-laborer. And again, in Philemon 24, it says, As do Mark, Aristarchar, and Lula, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. Fellow laborer. You see, don't count somebody out who, is, who God is able to use. In First Peter 5.1, it says, The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partake of the glory that will be revealed. He became a close minister to Peter. And you'll find his name later in that passage. That he was faithful. And I think one of the most incredible verses to me is 2 Timothy 4.11. It says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark. He said, get Mark. Go get him. Why? And bring him with you, for he is useful. And in some of your translations, I think the King James and the NASB and a couple of other ones use the word. Profitable. He's not just usable. He's profitable for ministry. How did he go from this position of, no, you can't go with him. Don't take him. He's a quitter to becoming profitable in ministry. You know how he got there? God used him. And when God puts his hand on anybody, they'll be profitable if they let him use them. Not to mention, too, that this guy named Mark, he ended up writing one of the fourth Gospels, right? The book of Mark. I, I'd say he was useful. I'd say that God used him mightily. But what if way back in the beginning, when they had this contention, Mark just sort of said, you guys are fighting over it, forget it, I'm just done. That didn't happen. We don't know why he stopped for a while. We don't. But what I do know is this. God wasn't done with them. Here's what I also know. And I've said it before, and I'm just going to remind you of this verse again. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of God run to and fro throughout the whole earth to do one thing. To show himself strong in him whose heart is perfect towards him. God says, I am looking for people that I can show myself through. That's what God is looking for. Bottom line is, will you let him work through you? And will you not give up on other people? I don't know what God God's plan is for everyone in this building. I don't. But I do believe this, God has a plan for you, if you'll let him use you. Uh, you may have been engaged, and maybe for a period of time you stepped away get back engaged I'm going to tell you I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader if you do I will be your biggest cheerleader I will be I will encourage you if I can encourage you I will do that because I want to see you being used of God and I believe some of you are selling yourself short oh what can God do with me I don't know what did God do with John Mark what did God do with Paul What did God do with 27 other people in the Bible? It's not about your abilities or skills or the lack thereof. It's not about how much you know or don't know. It's never been about that. And it's never going to be about that. Because my Bible tells me that if the Holy Spirit is living within you, He will bring everything you need that you've been taught to remembrance. Doesn't He say that? So it's not about what you know or don't know. It's not about your skills or the lack thereof. It's about you saying, God, use me. And then he says, okay, cool. Here's another one I can use. It's really about that simple. But it starts with your desire to let him use you. But the other cool thing is this. When two people disagree, just know that you may not have the final answer. God does. And what God wants to do is going to be done. And I don't have to have my way. Somehow in the end, they worked it out. Because Paul didn't stop Barnabas from taking him. He just says, I have an opinion about it. That's all right. You have the right to be wrong. It's okay. I know he's sincere in his motives. But the reality is, Paul didn't have all the answers either. But Barnabas believed in them. Question, will you believe in those that need a second chance? Are you willing to help them get it? Are you going to look for it? I'll close with this. Johnny Hunt, uh, I was reading one of his books on this. He said, "Who who is really right in this disagreement? He goes, does it really matter? Who is right and does it really matter? Paul looked at people and asked, what can they do for God's work? Barnabas looked at people and asked, What can God's work do through them? Both are good questions. But it's not about what I want, it's about what God wants. And so, my admonition to you this morning. Several things that we can glean from this story. First of all, are you willing to give others a second chance? Number two. Are you willing to pray for and encourage those around you that may have stepped away and are thinking about coming back? And another thing is this. Maybe that person who stepped away is you. I've heard some of you say this. Eh, somebody else's turn to get involved. Spiritual retirement or coasting, however you want to package it, your choice. Both are wrong. Because I didn't know God had a shelf life for ministry. I just didn't know that. Maybe I'm wrong. But I believe there's one thing that no matter how old you are, no matter what circumstance of health you're in, there's one thing that you can always do that is a vital part of ministry. Thank you. Pray. And we say it all the time. Programs without prayer is just stuff on the calendar. I don't want to do stuff. I don't have time for that, and neither do you. But some of you need to re-engage. Some of you need to get back at it. Maybe you're like John Mark. Maybe for a while you took a break to deal with your family. Maybe for a while you had to tend to other things. Maybe for a while you've been doing this, but God says get back in it. Are you willing to do it? Because faith without works is what? (laughs) It's dead. Meaning it's not real. Faith without works is dead. Your faith don't save you. I mean, your works don't save you, but your works are, are a byproduct or a result of or a fruit of the fact that you truly know him. And if you're doing nothing, shame on you. That's just shame. You need to be serving. And maybe your service is consistent, fervent prayer. Maybe it's coming here and praying over the ministries, being a part of something that's happening, something bigger than yourself. But you need to reengage, Lord, I do pray that you would work in hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to truly get a picture of what and how we can apply this story. Lord, there are those who have kind of written off somebody who's been disengaged. Ah, they quit once, they walked away, we've made every kind of presupposition, and Lord, whatever. We have our opinions as to why they're not here, why they're not doing, why they're not this, why they're not that. And Lord, we could be wrong in every account. It's not ours to judge. But, Lord, I pray that we would pray for them and encourage them and be willing to give them second chances or 25th chances. I pray, God, that you would help us to not be judgmental or critical or assume the worst, but to, Lord, pray for them. And, Lord, I pray that if there be one here today in this room, that has quit for whatever reason. And Lord, maybe it's a legitimate reason. Maybe they're tired. Maybe there are circumstances in their life that are overwhelming. I don't know. But Lord, you do. But Lord, I pray that if it's sinfulness, Lord, if they're quit because of sin, God, I pray that you would bring conviction there and help them to repent of it and get back engaged. I pray, God, that you would encourage those who have quit to get back involved again. And, Lord, I pray that as John Mark got back involved, Lord, that many churches would be strengthened, that this church would be strengthened because more people are getting involved. Maybe they've been idle for a while, but maybe it's time to get involved. God, I pray that you'd work in hearts this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I pray that all of us would be in prayer, in a moment of prayer where we're sitting, maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, that message has challenged me. Maybe you've been coasting for a while. Maybe you've kind of given up in some areas. Maybe you've been judgmental toward others. But whatever the circumstance, you say, Pastor, God's God spoke to my heart this morning. Would you pray for me? Yes, in the middle, in the front. And then I'll say, Pastor, that's me. I need to get engaged again. Yes. Maybe you've been running from God. Maybe saying, God, don't use me. God can't use me. You're wrong. God can use you if you're willing to repent and come back. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm struggling in this area. Maybe you're the one that's been judgmental towards someone else. Are you willing to make that right? Maybe this morning is an opportunity to get that right ask for God's forgiveness. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I've been judgmental. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Take a moment. Right there where you're at. Right there where you're at. Say, God, forgive me. For whatever it is that God has spoke to you about, whatever it is that you could relate to, God, work in my heart. Change me. Help me to be the person that you want me to be Take a moment and pray. And remember, James tells us, to him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. It is actually sinfulness to not deal with the things that you know that you ought to be doing. Lord Jesus, I pray that you be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. I ask your Father, Lord, that you would give them victory in the areas of their struggle. Lord, that they may see your hand at work in their life, I ask their Father, Lord, that you would have your will in your way. And, Lord, that we would see many more people engage in ministry, many more people, Lord, getting back involved, many people, Lord, not being critical about what others are doing or not doing or how they're doing it. I ask your Father that you'd work in all of our hearts, Lord, to draw us closer to you to help us be more like your Son, Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.